0: Welcome to Pushing the Boundaries podcast, brought to you by GCS Group, where you'll gain unique insight into how an Australian SME pushed the boundaries to turn disruption into opportunity and are now leading the way in international trade credit and risk.
1: And welcome back. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross, and this is part three of a special three-part series. Now, in episode one, we told the story about when digital disruption strikes and how a leading Australian-based international credit and risk company responded. In episode two, that saw us share how this company was able to transform disruption into opportunity in the credit and risk management industry. And today, we're again here with Adam Wood, and we're going to discuss the emerging influences of fintech and RegTech, and what businesses of all sizes can do to embrace these transformational technologies to better business performance and drive better business performance. So, Adam, tell us, FinTech and RegTech, these are not terms that I've heard before. What are they? Yeah, hi,
0: anne and thanks for, for asking. Um, look, FinTech and RegTech, as the name suggests, simply mean financial technology and regulatory technology. Um, they're really about finding new ways and disruptive ways to deliver financial and regulatory services to the benefit of customers. Um, they're companies, ultimately, that provide a range and a diverse range of product offerings for businesses. And retail consumers around Australia, but obviously all around the world. And you've will heard of places like Silicon Valley and San Francisco and Israel and London and Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, Australia are, are really dynamic, innovative cities that are leading the way in many ways um, of this reg tech um, that's spawned out of the fintech evolution. Uh, you look at some applications, particularly in fintech, around peer-to-peer lending platforms, uh, robo-advice for investors. Uh, visualization, prediction, and automation platforms to be able to transfer and transform, should I say, um, automate or routine processes into automated ones. Um, You might have heard of big data before and you've got big data, which is now uh, everybody's aware of data or most people are familiar with data and the the reference to big data. Well, now that's turning its way into smart data and actionable data. So what do you do with the the data that sits in your company's servers or databases and how do you use that to to drive better outcomes as a business? Um, I guess a couple of big ones are Bitcoin and blockchain, which I think a lot of people are. Are aware of or trying to get their head around. Um, and Bitcoin, is, as we were just talking about earlier, that um, you know, I think a lot of people are investing in Bitcoin. They mm. see it as a potential you know, way of the future. Um, I think more and more people are understanding now that, in fact, it's blockchain, which is the, uh, the enabling technology for Bitcoin and a whole bunch of other cryptocurrencies. And what they talk about is the, the internet version two is blockchain. So the, the internet that we're all familiar with is the, uh, the internet of information. Uh, we exchange information, whether it be emails or on YouTube videos, and it's content sharing. And so there's duplication of data that's shared across, whether it be an email platform or, 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 or uh, information services like Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. What blockchain does is allows the exchange of value, whether it be financial, cryptocurrencies, or whether it be other forms of value, but it allows one-way transfer of value. So if I was to replicate an email from me to you, there would be a duplication of that. If I was to, therefore, email you money, Mm -hmm. I would have a copy of it and you would have a copy of it, and therefore it's not a value exchange per se. What blockchain does that's most... Uh, I guess, visualized or represented in the form of Bitcoin is that you can exchange through a distributed ledger um, securely, a value exchange, and not just money and crypto, but also... Um a good example is the purchasing of a house mm-hmm. where you have various sources of uh, intermediaries and, and, ele- and different parties that need to contribute to a transaction. You've got your, your, your government, your buyer, your seller, your tax, and all of these organisations have to uh, imprint their part on, a, on an ultimate transaction. And if all of those parties are involved in a seamless blockchain to, to contribute their element of that recognition of that transfer of value, uh, then it's done seamlessly and far more instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, another example is the uh, Roads or the, the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles, where all these intermediaries are in fact... Um, expensive and time-consuming to exchange value. Uh, A good example recently was Equifax, where the credit information provider in the US was hacked recently and 185 million Americans, you know, most personal uh, records were, were hacked and now will be misused, no doubt, by criminal elements. Uh, and these, uh, this, through a blockchain, would be far more secure. You would be removing intermediaries like Equifax and Experian and Dun & Braith Street and whatnot to have a, a, a decentralised but far more secure source of this data. So mm. it's ex- extremely complicated. I think a lot of people are still working their way through what is the technology, how do we commercialise it. You've got companies like um, Bitfury and others that are investing heavily in pilot programs in blockchain, and, and we're looking at one um, from a global credit perspective, because money exchange is very clearly the most lucrative and probably the most sought after, you know, secure blockchain outside of Bitcoin. Um, but that's sort of some of the examples, I guess, of mm. where this fintech, regtech tech space are leading um, in further addition to, obviously, the blockchain revolution.
1: Look, thanks for explaining that. As, we, as you said, before we hit record, I mentioned to you when I were going through the notes that my son uh, mentioned to us, you know, about blockchain and, and Bitcoin and so forth. And he explained it to us too. It's one of those things, with anything new, it can be scary. And I think that's because you don't have an understanding of it. But as it, it is explained and you do a bit more research, you realise, that in actual fact some of these technologies that are now being created and developed can really be leveraged. As you said, talking about security, far more secure, a lot of these new, new technologies. So for anyone listening today, whilst, yes, it's very new and things are still being developed, the advantages... And the possibilities that can be leveraged are are, are incredible. So let's talk about those a little bit more. I mean, for for many of us, as we said, we're not emerged in this technology. You've explained a bit about what fintech and what regtech is. Companies are going to be looking at it from a, yeah, but what's the benefit for us? We've talked about security already. What are some other benefits that you're seeing?
0: Yeah, look, I, I think probably from my perspective, we're an SME and we're looking at how to tackle disruption and how to turn that into an opportunity. I would say that the the evolution of technology is a real enabler for for allowing SMEs to compete with the bigger businesses of the world. Um, I think you look at LinkedIn as a great example of a platform. I mean, everybody's aware of the social platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and those, but LinkedIn has really transformed the way business work, the way not only recruitment and HR drives itself, but also sales and marketing, And, and LinkedIn's a great example of a freemium platform. So it's free to use for most people and they have premium features that if you are in sales or are in HR and you want to use the more enhanced features of it, you can subscribe and be a paying Mm -hmm. user. But at its core, there's real value in being a free user of it it's also a big player in that big data. So LinkedIn are acquiring and the reason they provide a free service is because they've now captured the world or the business world of data and they can use that in a whole series of ways. So probably the most important element, I think, of this disruption is rather than it being fearful of it, but seeing it as an opportunity to enable a small business to to engage and to adopt technologies that otherwise were only available through enterprise providers Mm -hmm. and to those who had very large budgets to be able to acquire and then localize that technology into their operations. I would say probably the other most significant part, and I mentioned it before around prediction and automation. Um, that's a big part of the where our play is in around fintech is, is a lot of the data, you look at accounting systems, you look at CRM um, or consumer, uh, the customer relationship management software systems, and they're very much historical data. You look at accounting apps like Xero and QuickBooks, they can do phenomenal things, and you can manage your business and your historical data really, really well, really in a cloud-based environment, and it can do some amazing things you never could. But most of it's historical. So now there's this move towards visualization, so being more aware of what is the data that you have and what can, what does it mean for you in, in meaningful outcomes like, you know, who's your best paying customers, who's your slowest paying customers um, from a financial perspective. And so the predictive modeling now can allow you to say, I'm going to in, embrace the, the or use leverage, my historical data to then put predictive modeling on it to forecast what's the likely outcome of, again, in, in our instance, we're working on a, a cash flow predictive model so Mm -hmm. we would know what's the likelihood of customer a b and c paying based on a whole range of influences so not just knowing my historical data which is a certain a really important element to predicting that but so too are other macro sources like what's happening in the global economy what's happening within the industry um, what other factors might affect uh, an outcome that i'm looking for whether that be cash flow or sales or or hr or or a range of different things Um, and then automation is, is probably we all hear about AI and, mm. and, and where this is, you know, the, the artificial intelligence movement is heading. But at this stage, the more practical application of that is in automation of workflows, of, yeah. of processes that otherwise cost businesses and most businesses in particularly SMEs don't realize that there are ways to automate routine processes that you, in fact, pay somebody very high wages to particularly in mature markets. Um, to, to conduct. And if you're able to automate routine processes, you could put your staff onto more revenue generating activities that was able to grow your business. So I see this this movement in innovation to be enabling businesses to do things and compete on a much grander scale and to be able to be far more efficient uh, and effective with their time and resources.
1: Yeah. And with the technologies at our fingertips, you're talking about prediction to be able to create a number of these different models. I guess it's a lot more streamlined now. Like you can t- take a number of parameters, plug them into the s- to the system, and then see how that rolls out. Is that yeah, a absolutely? Issue? And
0: customization is a huge part of it. So exactly, not every, not it's not one size fits all. Different businesses have different information sources have different KPIs that they're looking for so you can customise most of these technologies that are democratised through what they call software as a service you know or or SaaS Um, so yeah very much so you've got enabling automation and prediction and then customisation allows a business to if they are aware of what's um, you know what's out there to really make it work for them rather than fear what what it might uh, do or mean for their competitors
1: Yeah. yeah and being able to see that and run it in a model to say if we go along this way to not have to actually experience it but see where it could head could really give the data for the key decision makers to decide okay well which way do we really want to go absolutely yeah Yeah, for sure fantastic this era of innovation the technologies for you and i it's exciting because we love you know the the new but for many companies many businesses many business owners it is scary so there are hurdles big hurdles in Mm -hmm. fact for companies that they need to start addressing this is something that you have experienced in your business but, you know, rather than be disrupted in a negative way, what would you say would be some of the key hurdles that companies do have to face, that they do have to go through so that they can leverage some of mm-hmm. these amazing new technologies?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, look, it, great point. And, and I think the, the, the first thing for us as ourselves, we, we lived through this, was was acceptance uh, and an understanding mm-hmm. of what's available. So that's the first thing is, is acknowledge that there are changes and market force changes that are, that are beyond your control understand what they are and accept that these are the way of the future and a lot of SMEs in, in certain industries that are very traditional in the way they operate are finding um, you know merger and acquisition and consolidation of industries is is only is happening is agnostic of industry and is only ramping up in many cases so the first thing is to, to understand it and accept it I would say the second part is to, to develop a thirst for knowledge um, you know, you've got to want to to know about these things, and and again, fear is what prevents a lot of the the opening your mind to to accept or to consider these new challenges. Um, look at what your competitors are doing, and if your competitors are moving ahead of you, why is that? Look at what their service offerings are. I would I would encourage businesses to just learn and, and listen. And it's funny, you know, we we come from an investigation background. Part of our risk management is investigation. We laugh about it now because. Everybody's an investigator. Mm. Thanks to Google, everybody can become an <laughs> investigator now. And, and yes, there's private source databases, and there's there's a far more professional way in which um, you know the investigation industry conducts itself. But you know, fundamentally. It's so easy. If you want to find out about Bitcoin or blockchain, just Google it. Mm -hmm. There is more information on there than you can ever know what to do with. And so all you've got to do is have a thirst for that knowledge and then look at what, as I say, what the the influences are. And if you can't predict or or forecast what they are, look at what your competitors are doing. Mm -hmm. Look at what other industry influences there are that are advocating for change and that are talking about these things. You can jump on LinkedIn again and look for the influences within your industry that that are sharing content daily. Really, really important and, and, Mm -hmm. and fantastic content that's out there, you've just got to want to listen to it. Um, and then obviously the old adage that I got taught when I was a kid is work on your business, not in your business. I think we all get, you know, I guess wrapped up in the day-to-day grind of trying to make the cash flow grow, pay the bills, make the, the next job or complete the next job. But I think too often we, we, we work too much in the business to be able to sit back and, and look at a strategic view of where is your business headed, what changes do you need to make. Um, so I'd say those are probably, you know, the, the core elements um, and then once you get your head around what changes are taking place and where do you want to position yourself in that, you know, innovation space, is you need to invest in, particularly technology and, and from our area, compliance. Compliance yes. drives, um, has driven the consolidation of our industry in many ways. And so if you're not investing or prepared to invest in those areas, um, then, then you may well see, you know, negative growth. Mm-hmm. Um and then also, from our perspective as well, we look at um, partnerships and alliances. You know, there's a new world of what we call co-opetition. Yes. Um, so, you know, you used to always see your competitors as nothing but a competitor and therefore do everything to avoid them and beat them and, and, and avoid any conflict. Nowadays, uh, the world is a big place. There are always uh, unique selling propositions that you can identify to complement potentially, um, you know, your competitors to work with them. So not obviously not in all instances. I'm sure Coke and Pepsi are never going to. Work together as, as, mm. as, as, as in a collaborative way, but there more often than not, if you look hard enough, you can find an opportunity to cooperate um, with arguably historical competitors, or to at least identify um, some businesses or industries that can complement your product offering or your value proposition. Um, as I say, through that partnerships and alliances to be able to grow your business through. Innovative ways that otherwise would cost you a fortune to invest in advertising and traditional marketing means and, and try and compete with others that may be more funded or may have, you know, different, uh, again, value proposition. So I'd, I'd probably mm. say they're the most important areas.
1: Yeah, look, those are all really great areas to share. One of the things, you know, talking lastly, the, the partnerships, alliances, and cooperation, I believe that Australia, um, in comparison to other countries, really don't collaborate and don't, yeah, align with one another. Speak a little bit just around the mindset shift that maybe you and your organisation had to go to really start to embrace this because organisations, as you say, these this is one of the key things they need to start to be able to be, to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's there's two ways of looking at that. I think I agree in some way in that we're a massive island. We've mm-hmm. always been internationally. You know, Australia's always the land of the kangaroo and crocodile mm-hmm. Dundee. So so I guess professionally and, and from a business perspective, Australia was never really looked at as a major um, City, So, or as a major, sorry, mm-hmm. a, um, a destination for, mm-hmm. for, for or a working city. Um, I think that's changed now. That certainly has changed now. And I think we see now with the innovation of, you know, the internet and technology and innovation, that is starting to, to that, that has changed quite considerably in recent time. Um, but, yeah, very much so. We, we've been a, a country isolated in many ways, you know, geographically, but also, in um, you know, a mindset pro- professionally as well. But I would say with that, you know, we talk about incubators and accelerators and this innovation space, Melbourne and Sydney have, have very quickly become internationally recognised as leading innovation cities. You know, everybody wanted to be the Silicon Valley 2.0 and I think statistically you would look at Israel as having probably the most successful um, output of innovation and, and, and technology um, disruptors, um, but also London is another, and there's many cities that can all claim you know, significant uh, growth in this area, but but we too as a country can, and I think if you open your mind to that, you can see that we, we're we also a country that's been dependent on exports and, and, and imports, so, um, so whilst, yes, you're right in some ways, I think also we, we've always been dependent in some ways on the world,
1: mm-hmm. and now
0: it would seem that the world's paying more attention to what we do and, and the value that we can contribute internationally.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Now, as we've said earlier, that you've gone through the highs and lows of steering a 40 year strong business through change and disruption. And I'm sure if you were able to help other business leaders avoid, avoid the stress and the pressure that you had to endure, you, you certainly would, Yes.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, I think that's a big part of our business model now. Um, we laugh about it, but in many ways, we're a 40-year-old startup. You know, we, we've been in the business for 40 years. My dad, as we talked about in, uh, in, in, a, in earlier recordings, that, um, that he was a disruptor in many ways 40 years ago. He pioneered the international debt collection industry. Before technology, before LinkedIn and internet, he jumped on a plane and, and traveled all around the world and, and built um, a, a, an international network of service providers. Well, over time, that model became disrupted. So we had to invest heavily in technology and compliance to, I guess, to pivot uh, our business model to make it more modern and, and relevant in this space. So, So we come from a perspective where – What we've transferred our business or transformed our business into is, in fact, a challenger brand and an enabler. Mm -hmm. We talked about enabling technologies. That's what we've developed ourselves. with the GCS credit community as one. we're, We're connecting the world of cash flow, credit, and collection. So we've built a platform that's very much like LinkedIn, and it allows businesses of any size in a freemium way, in many ways like LinkedIn and other social platforms, to be able to join a community, to be able to learn and share and know more about it. And that's from the credit and the collection cash flow space. Um, our our Certified By program is one where we've also developed a program that's designed to enable SMEs to be able to demonstrate their awareness of and their commitment to compliance. And so – um, so we very much have, have been in this innovation space and, and our pivot was to provide a platform that allowed SMEs particularly to, to be able to compete on a global st- space.
1: Mm-hmm. Amazing. And isn't it interesting how when a company like as, as yours has, as we've been sharing that in the last podcast, has gone through disruption, you take a step back, you create something to support your own business in going through that disruption and now it, it's going to be the solution that other companies can invest in. And Absolutely. Need.
0: And look, Certified by is probably the greatest example of that. So we, we developed a global compliance program for our own needs as an international service provider of predominantly credit and debt collection services. We were working with banks and, and, and institutional clients all around the world that were, were originally satisfied with us being in 100 countries. Mm. Well, then the compliance train hit us and so we were being asked, well, how do we demonstrate our compliance of our members around the world? And so in mature markets where you know professional indemnity insurance is a norm and and, and compliant conduct is also a norm and a regulatory expectation, mm. uh, it was quite easy to do that. But in emerging regions where we were really prevalent in, you know, in Southeast Asia and Eastern Europe and Africa, the businesses there have barely heard the word compliance. So for us, we needed to create a global compliance standard because ISO and SSA sixteen and eighteen and JASANZ these fantastic compliance standards or, or quality uh, management standards that exist around the world were achievable in mature markets, but not in emerging markets. So mm. we we took the best practice and summarise the best practice principles of international standards and put it into a a, a global compliance requirements program for our members. Mm. And so we took that back to the market and this took quite some time and we automated it and we made all of our members around the world uh, achieve certification of what we called at the time the GCRP. Uh, and we took that back to our clients and said, well, now we can answer those questions. And as happy as they were that we could provide that as a service provider, it was amazing how many of the those major clients that worked cross-border with other third-party vendors and had other businesses, they wanted to buy that compliance program. Mm. And we didn't build it for that. So, <laughs> so unfortunately for us, we, we realized, and it took us a little while to get our head around it when the penny dropped, that what we'd built as a compliance standard for our own internal management purposes in fact there was a a huge growing need for this internationally so again it took a little while to get our head around what that should look like and we reimagined it we reinvested again in technology and we've what today is now known as certified by GRCq is now our global compliance program that is specifically designed for SMEs to be able to demonstrate their awareness of and commitment to best practice governance risk compliance and quality management so that they can answer the same questions that we were asked by our clients you know five six seven eight years ago. And when we created that program, so yes, very much so. We through our own, and they say uh, innovation is one of the greatest um, creators, or the need, you know drives yes. the greatest need for creation. Well, so much for us. We we did that. We 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 solved a problem that we had ourselves, and now have turned that into a, a solution that might may well enable a lot of SMEs around the world to to solve a very complicated problem
1: yeah and you know if, if you think back to where you were right at the beginning which I, imagine imagines many years ago i mean some organizations businesses and companies around the world are now faced with that what are we going to do they don't know of any other solution well thank goodness yeah. you've led the way you've innovated and yeah. you've now yeah offer the solution that they're going to be able to Well, into look, and,
0: and it's still early days for us so we've we've, we've, we've We've got the tech right. We've got the platform right. Um, We're working now with uh, Standards Australia because we want this to be recognised as as an official standard. And that's a a long process that we're in the early stages of now. And part of our challenge is to engage with relevant stakeholders. So we're meeting with legislators and regulators to, to get relevant feedback on the applicability of this to a wide range of sectors Mm. and so um, originally it was designed as i say for us in credit and risk management but it's really a product for anyone in service in the service industry Mm -hmm. so now we're now we've been approached by a a number of different franchise networks and from industries like real estate and 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 just completely other industries that we didn't foresee this as a suitable solution to that are telling us that this is actually something that they need right now because there's such a thing as vicarious liability where ultimately a Franchisor is responsible for the conduct of its franchisees. So anything that a franchisor can do to be able to educate the franchisees around better conduct, around professional quality management, governance, risk, and compliance is only going to ultimately improve the value proposition of that entire franchise network. So that sort of opened our eyes up to uh, to where this product could go. Um, mm-hmm. And so yeah, we're very early stages at this at, at the moment, but uh, it's pretty exciting times.
1: Yeah, very exciting times. Now, Adam, I, I understand you've uh, recently hosted the GC credit community world conference in washington dc Uh, tell us a little bit about that if you would yeah, well, that, we've hosted
0: conferences. So the GCS credit community, as we touched on earlier, was has been around, you know, my dad for about 40 years built a business that today is now, you know, I guess considered the GCS credit community. But uh, before that, it was Global Credit Solutions, and, and we provided international credit and, and, and collection services through this international network of, of members in 100 countries. Mm-hmm. And each year for about 20 years, we'd host a global conference in a different city in a different country around the, around the world. And this year, we decided, of Washington, D.C. We hadn't been to the States in in a number of years. And so because this year's conference culminated with the launch and I guess the, 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 the evolution of our own technology platforms, we wanted to use... Um, this year's uh, conference is an opportunity to really tell the world that we're we're back in the market again, and, and to to announce ourselves back to the market. And so, what better way to do that than in in a world of confusion around are we is globalization a thing? Are we deglobalizing? You know, you look at with the Trump presidency, with Brexit, um, yet you look at China's One Bridge One Road initiative. There's a lot of confusion around. If I'm in business in the international marketplace. I guess the only certain thing about international business right now is uncertainty. Mm. And so we thought we would use the opportunity, I guess, the narrative that is around the world and with, you know, President Trump's, uh, I guess, um, polarising views and and, uh, and policy views, uh, we, we, we wanted to go to D.C. And that was um, – it was great for the GCS community conference. Our members enjoyed coming to a great city. Um, and then we hosted this year, in addition to the, the GCS conference, the World Trade Credit and Risk Summit, the inaugural World mm. Trade Credit and Risk Summit, um, which was an amazing event. you know. But that was quite separate too, as I say, the GCS conference. It was sort of a, a three-day event broken yeah. up into two days. The The GCS conference was one where we talked about – we sort of announced one of the sessions was what is the community and we're able Mm -hmm. to explain to our members uh, and a lot of new members that turned up what is the community, how do you use it, what's the platform, what's the value proposition, How how do you monetize to get a return on investment from your membership with us. Because like anyone, everybody's trying to, to measure ROI and there's always another association or another business networking group or something that you can join. Mm-hmm. And like anything, as, a, as that community, we need to demonstrate the, the, the value proposition there. So that was a big part of the conference. Um, we looked into regulatory environment, and then we had a couple of um, masterclasses around uh, collection skills and how to, how to get better outcomes of you as a company, yes. uh, and then a growth hacking masterclass, which oh. is, again, <laughs> we wanted to share for businesses. Everybody wants to learn how to grow their business, yeah. and in this innovative digital world we live in, growth hacking is a new phenomenon, so we were very lucky to have a couple of keynote speakers in, uh, in the form of Roger Weiss, but also Danny Hart from, from Growth Hackers, and, uh, and, yeah, it was a really good outcome. We, yeah. uh, those that were there really loved it.
1: Yeah. Did you get feedback on what some of the, the key topics, the real favourite topics were?
0: Yeah, look, Roger Weiss is a good friend of mine who has been voted in as the treasurer of the American Collectors Association and he's from St. Louis and he is one of the most dynamic trainers you've ever met. He can stand in a room and make anyone laugh I but mean. really get a message through. He's actually he studied um, neurolinguistic programming. I so guess. all around the psychology of how to how to converse better, how to read a situation better, how to motivate staff, and, mm. and whether it be in collection in a collection floor or in a in any business, uh, there's ways in which you can you know optimize a, the culture of a company and whatnot. So. His session was probably the most uh, talked about in terms of tangible outcomes for businesses, particularly in our space, in how to improve. So it could take back some real learnings for their for their staff and management to implement. Mm. Um, but then also Danny Hart as well. She spoke, you know, brilliantly on the way um, innovation and di- the digital environment we work in is a way to grow your business. And it is a confusing space, and there are ways in which um, new technologies are allowing businesses to to adopt these. And, and growth hackers is, is one of those. So. Uh, yeah, I'd say those two probably were the highlight of the of that day's event for yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that you were saying, you know, for your community, you really want to provide absolute value. And I know that there were a number of high profile speakers It Who were a few of them?
0: Yeah, well, look, so from the community event, from the, the GCS conference, I would say, uh, Roger, we also had um, uh, Maria Wolven from the ACA, who was the regulatory counsel um, from, from the ACA. So there's some really good speakers, particularly from the credit and collection space. But in terms of the, the World Trade Summit, that was where mm-hmm. we probably had our our, our our most important high-profile speakers and probably kicked that right off with our ambassador, Joe Hockey. Yes. Um, we, in, in hosting a, a global event... By an Australian company in Washington, D.C., yeah. um, high on our agenda was to get um, certainly a senior trade commissioner or an ambassador of sorts from the, the D- Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. And we were lucky enough to, through our approaches that uh, Joe Hockey, or the Honourable Ambassador Joe Hockey, um, decided to join us and speak uh, on a session that he was very well aware of. And the first session was probably set up the entire summit for us. And it was um, trade policy through Brexit, a Trump presidency and China's one bridge, one road. It was a conversation we really could have had a whole conference on just that in itself Um, but we had Joe Hockey, we had um, Minister Councillor Colin Bird from the Canadian Embassy, Um, we had Ken Levinson and and others um, that were former White House staffers and that have worked in and around the trade space um, and then in that session, we had Scott Kennedy from the CSIS, or the Center for Strategic and International Studies, who spoke you know, very uh, eloquently on the, the China movement. Um, mm-hmm. So that session sort of set it up, and, and, and then we had other sessions that, that covered the, the topics of um, you know, the economic drivers of world trade. We had navigating choppy political waters. Digital transformation was a real uh, a special piece because... It alludes to, I guess, a lot of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about the future of trade credit, cybersecurity and warfare, global risk agility and decision-making, and we wrapped it up with a session that was closer to our credit heart, which is around trending receivables management. Um, So, yeah, so we we were very lucky to have speakers from, uh, uh, well, we had four of the major think tanks in the US represented from Mm -hmm. Brookings Institute, New America, CSIS, and the RAND Corporation. Um, we had the US Chamber of Commerce, we had the Global Blockchain Business Council, uh, and as I mentioned, the Australian, Canadian, and, and American governments represented. So we were very lucky to have a very highly distinguished uh, yes. panel. And
1: who's and, who, by the sounds of yeah, it. Yeah, well, the
0: beauty is we were able to, obviously, we recorded the sessions, and mm-hmm. so now we've chopped all those recordings up, put them on SoundCloud, put them on our blog, and it's so it's there forever. So anybody who was unable to join the summit can now go to our blog and and uh, and listen to the recordings, listen to the sessions because it was, you know, each Amazing. of the sessions that were discussed were, were, was, was enthralling. Yeah. yeah,
1: to be in that room and, and obviously now to be able to listen to the podcast, to listening to people who are at the front of their game, they just in there, incredible. To be yeah, look, one that. of the
0: guys who, I mean, so Dante Desparte and Daniel Wagner, I, I, these guys helped helped me coordinate in many ways, and these are geniuses in, in the space of risk management. They really mm-hmm. are doing transformative things. Well, they also introduced another guy by the name of Chris Furlow, who is the uh, the president of a company called Ridge Global, who mm-hmm. is former in, in the US, uh, former Governor Tom Ridge, who was the initial, the very first Secretary of Homeland Security after wow. 9-11. Um, he also spoke on, on risk management, in, in fact, with also uh, Brigadier General Stephen A. Shaney from the American Security Project. I mean, they... <sighs> I could go on and on and on, but these (laughs) people are amazing individuals that we were so lucky to have come and represent themselves and to speak um, on their behalf. I mean, Dr. Tamika Tillman is another who who represents New America. Uh, He was a former speechwriter of Hillary Clinton, Um, and so there was just... These amazing individuals that just were happy to share their views on some really important uh, topics. So we look forward to going back there probably next year, possibly the year after. Um, but yeah, this is this is an event that we really want to to build on, you know, year on year out. Yeah.
1: What a valuable resource. That you are offering to your GCS community to be mm. able to tap into the to the knowledge and expertise of uh, these speakers. We like to think so, yeah, yeah. and we hope it gets better. Yeah, so I mean, this yeah. this was
0: our first event, so to have yeah. gotten such important and influential people, we we were a little disappointed. I, I I was hopeful to get a U.S. a current sitting U.S. senator, and we tried for quite some time to have a number of senators, and we approached many of them through mm. official channels and, and directly. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, you know, scheduling conflicts, time frame, and I guess we're a first time event. So, mm. you know, sitting senators under the current administration uh, was our was high on our list. But uh, next year, we, we've got a lot of thank you. Unfortunately, we can't this year, but please let us know next year. So yeah. um, you'll so, be
1: knocking on a few doors. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. We have. We certainly have. So you talked about um, the inaugural World Trade Credit and Risk Summit, which you just shared a number of these great speakers, but you also talked about the inaugural Excellence Awards. Mm. Tell us what about, how did the start, What how did the idea come about? Yeah, well,
0: probably a, another example of, of an evolution from our GCS community. So we we host, um, or we, we have an awards every year at our GCS credit conference, um, and so the best performing uh, members of the, or premium members of the GCS credit community get recognised for their contribution throughout the year, and we've done that for, for many years. And so, as we were hosting a new event for the summit, uh, it was only fitting that we also took the same opportunity to recognise the extraordinary achievements of some of the business businesses, particularly in and around the DC area. Uh, and that allowed us to engage with, you know, the DC government and the Washington International Trade Association and, and, a, and a number of other really, you know, prominent organisations that allowed us to, through them, promote the Excellence Awards and, and obviously, the event in itself to to businesses in and around that DC and, and Greater Washington. Area and so we gave a series of awards around um, uh, you know exceptional services uh, in and around innovation and uh, and a whole range of areas particularly back to the credit and risk management and probably the the award that we were most I guess delighted to, to give away was the the young achiever of the year award which was. Uh, won by a, uh, a young lady by the name of Rakia Finley from a company called Fin Digital, and she was just this beautifully spoken, um, humble and appreciative winner of, an, of a first time award in DC. Uh, and she just represented the values of what we try to, to, to impart mm-hmm. and, and what we're trying to grow. Is she's she started from nothing. She started a business that grew into quite a sizable digital firm, innovating in a lot of areas. So it was a, it was a great achievement for us to be able to engage with the authorities and the relevant bodies in DC. To to recognise businesses that we wouldn't have been able to identify mm. ourselves, but through, you know, the D.C. government and, and again, uh, Jonathan Brady, who who was one of the – who's the international manager of the um, Export D.C., um, was such a great help in us coordinating, you know, these these excellence awards. So it allowed us to engage with, you know, people in and around D.C. that we hope to build very long-lasting relationships mm. with.
1: Yeah, you are just living and breathing what you have been sharing, you know, the cooperation, the collaboration, the relationships building, which I think is fantastic. You have set the bar so high. I wonder, <laughs> what are your plans for 2008? Are you going back to DC or perhaps another location? Yeah, look,
0: we I'd love to. We, we, we would love to make it an annual event in DC, but we have a lot of members in Europe that um, have been neglected for a number of years. Well, mm-hmm. in terms of our priorities and, and, and for other reasons and, and significant reasons, we've We've hosted conferences elsewhere. But uh, we'll be heading back to Europe this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it, next week or next Tuesday, I have a conference call with uh, with our members in Germany and the Netherlands. And it may well be, without speaking out of turn, uh, we may well be announcing quite an innovative conference next year in, in a dual location of starting in Potentially Amsterdam and uh, and moving to uh, into Dusseldorf, but that's yeah. yet to be announced. So so probably next year will be DC, will be Europe for us, um, mm. and then certainly the year after, probably in collaboration with whether it be the Washington International Trade Association or other established events, we'll partner with um, some other established events to be able to take the the summit and the the excellence awards back to DC for sure.
1: Yeah, and what about for for GCS Group itself? Yeah, look,
0: it's for us. It's we've spent the last five, six, seven years investing and spending, mm. spending every cent we have really in in to build this technology, to build the community, to get the value proposition right. So for us, it's been uh, well. The next twelve months for us is very much a growth phase. So mm-hmm. we're looking to you know get the message out there that there is this global credit community that businesses of any size in a freemium environment can can become a partner of or can become a part of. Um, whether that starts with just learning information and finding. And curated content that otherwise might be more difficult to find. It's all centralised in the community. Mm-hmm. So that's a big part of it. Um, clearly the Certified Buy program is one that's, uh, that seems to be have taken a, a priority as well for us and, and it's very much in conjunction with the credit community. Um, you know, when we have a, 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 a network of members and premium members, well, those premium members are defined by, in one large part, their compliance standards in association with our Certified Buy standards. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very much around, all right, now we've got to grow the business now we've got to build a network you know we're, we're in a hundred countries but we've trans transitioned from a one partner per country model to an open membership very recently and so for us it's about growing that community of members so it's about talking to anybody who wants to listen about what we're doing and if they see value in what we do we welcome to join us and and hopefully we can you know build this community as quickly as possible um, but by providing you know real tangible outcomes and, and like I mentioned before return on investment for anybody who who's looking to, to grow their business we might be a way for them to do that
1: yeah absolutely now I know that we've spoken about the GCS credit community members in a previous show but just recap for people who listen today because sometimes it's so easy for people to think well it's not really me that's not Mm. really relevant for me and it very much is. So who are the typical members? Yeah, look,
0: the old model, the, the, the old GCS model was a network of service providers. So your debt collectors, your credit information providers, your lawyers, your accountants, businesses that were in and around exchanging credit management services. Um, what we've transitioned into a community, into an open membership of, uh, a community model is where it's open to anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. You might be a startup, you might be in, a, in any field whatsoever, but if, if credit and cash flow influence is your business and I don't know any yet that that, that, that doesn't mm. um, this is a community where you've you- The very least you could do is just learn about relevant content that might help you understand something that you don't otherwise know Mm -hmm. and that you would otherwise have to pay someone to educate yourself on, whether it be an accountant or a lawyer or whatnot. So you can find out if Bitcoin is one of the things you want to learn about. There's tons of articles and really curated articles around the relevance and the evolution of Bitcoin. Um, It might be around credit standards. How do I extend credit standards? It might be around, uh, I want to deal with someone in China. I want to to buy or I want to sell to someone in China. Um, How do I mitigate my risk? on that. There is tons and tons of content in there now that that is very easily accessible um, and it's curated from hundreds of sources of, of, of different information sources around the world. So that's the, the the entry point. So mm-hmm. it genuinely is a community for anybody, but um, it still is very much a way to engage with the service providers that businesses might need. So in yes. the event customers don't pay, in the event you need to obtain credit information from a country that you otherwise don't know how to, this is also a community to engage service providers in a trusted, transparent way to do so.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as you said, you've got a number of fantastic resources, articles, the blog posts that you have just put up that includes all. Of of the recordings of the conference and the summit and um, all those incredible speakers that you spoke about earlier, how can people access those?
0: Well, surprise, surprise, we're online. Um, so the, the GCS Credit community can be found at uh, www.gcs-credit.com. There is a blog page on there which can be found at gcs-credit.com slash blog, um, but you can find it once you get on there. Um, also certified by is www.certifiedby.com. Um, and that's, yeah, really everything's online. We're, we're as transparent as we can be. We've tried to make, rather than than, than hide and, and try and conceal a lot of what, what others would consider very unique IP, um, we're as transparent as they get. So if, if you can't understand what the value proposition is for you or how to engage, there's obviously contact points there that anybody can reach us on. I'm on LinkedIn as GCS Adam, um, and I'm you know perfectly transparent. All my contact details are available there as well. So we should be very easy to find.
1: Wow. Thank you so much for um, for sharing your journey, sharing your story and leading the way for many people and, of course, pushing the boundaries for many people who are at the beginning, actually, of, of this disruption and kind of scratching their head thinking, oh, which way do we turn to? Yeah, so, no, absolutely. Thank, you. thank.
0: And I did forget to say that the, the summit, we also have a website for the, the summit that we just had, host, uh, hosted in Washington, which is um, com. Yeah. So that can where you can see all the speakers that I've mentioned and, uh, and the agenda and the conversation points. And, and we'll obviously have more information on that, on that website around next year's event and, mm. and the years ahead. So, but thank you so much, Anne-Marie. I really yeah. appreciate the opportunity to chat. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not a conversation that, um, that's easily entered into. It's one that, you know, being from a credit space, a risk space and compliance, normally you put people to sleep when you, when you raise that conversation. Um, so we're trying to do something different. We're trying to make it approachable and appealing to, to, to any business of any size. So yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to have uh, spoken about it. You've been listening to Pushing the Boundaries podcast, brought to you by GCS Crew.